So yeah, I'm excited to be here today. Anyone else? Just me and Robin, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was coming in today, I was looking at the vibe outside and it was good. I said to, to Nate, you can buy a good coffee there or you can go inside and you can still get the existing, what's the word that we described? Established, the, the other coffee, right? And Nate said to me, yeah, I'll take the plebs coffee. And I said, the good thing is the cups are the same. And so whether you've got the good, the, sorry, I shouldn't say good and bad, boy, oh boy, you know what I mean. I'll stop talking now. Anyway, you should help yourselves to a good cup of coffee and tea after the service. There's options there for you. One's outside, one's inside. Amelia's laughing at me. That means I've lost the plot. <laughs> or, yeah, I got this. Well, it is good to be back in the pool, but I might be a little rusty because it's, I think it's about 11 weeks since I've preached here, although I did have an opportunity to share to some pastors in North Queensland two weeks ago, and that was really good as well. Someone asked me this week, so pastor, what's the difference between how you are now and how you were before your long service leave? And I I had a good think about that, and there's probably three areas that I want to quickly tell you about that I've noticed a change. And here's the first one. I really feel like I've been able to clear my head. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's, that's a funny thing to say. You, you can just do that, go to the beach or whatever, clear your head. But, you know, I'm quite a, a task-driven person, and the consequences of that is you're always thinking of the next task to do, right? And when you're, when you're leading something, there's a lot of those things. You never kind of get to the... You want the bottom of that barrel to see it empty, but you never get there, right? But I noticed, I felt like I had a chance to clear my head. Consistent weeks away um, was helpful. And refreshing for my mind. The second thing is that spending extended time with my dear wife did wonders for our relationship. Now, don't hear me wrong on this. It's not like it was rocky or something was going wrong there. We were good, but it was really good just to get out of that routine together and do things, uh, again, for an extended period of time that we enjoy. It drew us closer together. The third thing is, and you're going to be shocked to hear this from a pastor, but my devotional life has gone through the roof. Of late, yeah, and so you know, even pastors sometimes our devotional lives they do they can get stale and a little bit rocky at times, and it's fair to say I was probably feeling like that. My walk with Jesus it feels deep, and I'm loving it. It was the longest break I've had since I was 18. That's about 30 30 years, and um, you know, I just thank you for the opportunity and for the elders when I suggested you know, there's can, what do you think about long service leave? They were just like, yes, we're for it. And I want to thank them for that. So I never had to really feel that guilt, you know, of um, is, it, is it going to be okay? But I wanted to say this. If your body and your emotions are sending you signals that something is not right, you shouldn't ignore them. God built signals into us, you know, but we're very good at just pushing them aside and pushing them aside, and that's not good. Don't it, don't wait until it's too late because I, I've, I know people who have in it and, it's, and it can be a sad moment. The best way to describe it for me was, um, you know, sometimes you become almost numb. The, the emotions that you would normally feel, that you want to feel, aren't, they're not there. And that's a signal. That was a signal that I had. But I've had a chance to rest and reset and I noticed the change... I was at our district conference this week and someone said to me, can you just stop it? You're just, you know, you're looking too good. 
So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Hopefully it lasts a while though. I was going to talk to you this week um, on a reflections message. You know, pastor goes away, comes back and he has a message. What God's been telling me. Well, guess what? I actually sat down to do that. And this is a good sign. There was so much. I went, no, I'm making it into a series. And so early next year, I'm going to start that series. But you will have to be here to hear it because I'm not even going to give you a hint. So that's next year. Instead today, I'm going to um, take some thoughts from the, the messages I was giving to those pastors in North Queensland two weeks ago because I really felt like in that was something good for us today as well. For some reason, they invited me to be a speaker and um, I really enjoyed, you know, in, a re- in the most humble way possible, sharing some of our story here. What God's been showing us and while at the same time hearing their stories and encouraging them in what's happening in their own churches... There are such a great group of pastors to speak to. You know, they're hungry. People are really hungry to see God move, you know, including the pastors. And um, sometimes it just needs that, that lift, that encouragement, that God is in it, you know. And so that's where today's sermon is kind of coming from. It's called Active, Not Passive. And I'm reading from Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. It'll be on the screen behind me so you can read along. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated, and this is just one illustration or parable that Jesus gives of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is an aspect of it. It can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money with them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. A servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, Look, here is your money back. The master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have got some interest for it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they have are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. And from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And then we read verse 30, which we 
we would like to live out, but we can't. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As someone who is called to pastor this you know, small little branch of God's kingdom, this parable from the mouth of uh, from Jesus himself challenges me and encourages me. What I hear from this parable is that we have collectively been given what we need to do to do what Jesus has asked us to do in this moment, in this time, in this place. It's not so that we can just wait until we have more before we do something. It's not about waiting for more volunteers. It's not about waiting for more money, you know, waiting for a building to be finished or waiting for everything to align before we do what he has called us to do. We have what we need to do God's business to the level he asks of, asks of us right now. And, and here is the bit I love. According to this parable, God gives just the right amount of resources, people, yes, money, gifts, spiritual gifts, talents, whatever it is we need. And he, and he says in there, according to your abilities. So point one today, and I love this, God doesn't expect anything more of us than we can handle. Anyone else breathing a sigh of relief right now? Remember verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to the other, and one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. So someone might be good enough to take that amount, well, have the, the ability or, or whatever it is, the, the capacity, let's say, but mine might be a bit different. And God's not going to say to me, you've got to take on that amount. No, no, it's what I can handle. It's a huge relief. It doesn't, it means, I actually think it means God says, I don't want you to burn out. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to die in that particular way. He doesn't want me to take on more than I can manage. He doesn't want us to do ministry that's beyond our ability even. It, it's not our job to do everything. This seems like a funny thing for pastors to say, what I'm saying right now. You're very quiet going, there's a catch, there's a catch, there's a catch coming. I'm ready for it. The thing is, I, couldn't, I probably couldn't do something like what Billy Graham did, for example. You know, massive outreach events. But I can have half a dozen seekers at an alpha. That's my ability. Josie Chaco from Impart Ministries, he's got a vision for 100,000 churches to be planted, mostly in India. He's already up to like 10,000 or something. I, I'm inspired by that man. But I, you know, I could plant one church in Brisbane. I don't have the gifting or ability to speak to large conferences or gatherings, but God can send me to Proserpine and speak to nine pastors and have a ball doing it. We not be, might not be able to run a big food bank to, to feed all the hungry, but a you know, a meal for someone doing it tough is a big thing. Now, there's going to be those people who run the food banks and do the big rallies and all that sort of stuff. They should do it, and maybe that is you. I'm just making the point. It's going to be different. God doesn't expect more from me than what I can handle. However, however, okay, here it is. <laughs> he absolutely does expect me to put my hand to the plough and work hard and be faithful and invest what he has given me. Point two, God spreads the many needs around his network of churches. 
Remember, he said in verse 14, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So he brought them all in, all the different people. The many needs in our community are numerous, and, and sometimes it kind of feels insurmountable, particularly when you just hear of all the brokenness, like Leanne was talking about, that's going on around us. But God has a heart for all people, particularly those who are suffering and doing it tough. And the church has a role as his ambassadors to meet those needs. But it's not all on me. It's not all on you. In, you know, there was three servants in the parable. It wasn't just on the one person. They didn't get the uh, eight. I'll do some quick maths. They didn't get the eight bags, right? They, it was split up. Each person was given some of the load. And we as a church don't have to meet every single need in our community. However, there is a clear expectation that we meet the needs that God is calling us to with what he has given us to use to meet those needs. You know, I think of, I always love our, using our family support service as a great example. You know, we're moving into that new phase and we've already had Hannah run successfully the RAGE program uh, and we had some teenagers in there who were struggling, you know, with, with internal anger issues. And apparently, from all reports, I wasn't here, that it went really well. And now they've, they're in the middle of doing a parenting class as well called the Circle of Security, which is going well. We're going to keep rolling those out and expand them more and more into our, into our neighbourhood around us. This is where we take the load, our portion of the load, and spread light around. We're using what God has given Number three, there's an expectation to be active and not passive with what is given. Not just this expectation of action that we, we're going to read. We, servants of God, will be held accountable. We're going to be held to account with how we use or how we invest what God has given you knew it was going to get tougher. <laughs> Verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they used his money. He's using money as an example of lots of different things. Okay, It's not just about money, although it is. God didn't give us good gifts just to hold on to them and let them rust away or just to use for just our own benefit. We're all provided with gifts and talents. We have resources. We do have money. We hopefully have some time. We have experiences. We actually have education. We have each other. They're from God. And if we profess to be his followers, they're actually all his anyway. We just sang about surrender this morning. That means all of those things are surrendered to him, for him to say yes I'm giving you those to use. They're from God. So how are we using them? God's watching with expectation because it seems according to this parable, when he returns, he's going to ask us, how'd you go? How'd you go with what I gave you? What will you say? Question to ponder today. If we follow the parable and we believe it's true and we do, he will ask us, how'd you go? with what I gave you. What will you say? Take a moment and think about that. What will you say? Remember, the expectation is according to your abilities. They don't panic. It's very achievable. 
But it's easy in our world that sometimes is obsessed with comfort and entertainment to actually be passive and not active about God's stuff. You know, it's easy to be distracted. You know, if you were to do two columns in a spreadsheet and, uh, spreadsheet and in column A, you listed all the time that you spent, and I put myself in this, this as well, you know, watching TV, watching Netflix, on social media, playing games, going to, the mo- going to movies, you know, reading the paper, looking at YouTube, whatever it is, add them all up in column A. By the way, all those things are okay, and I'm not telling you that, you have, that they're going to be they're evil or whatever. I'm not telling you that. They're okay, hopefully. Hopefully they're okay. But in column B, you put all the time spent investing back what God had given you into his kingdom work. For example, talking with someone who's, who's really hurting and struggling. You know, praying for others like, like Leanne was sharing this morning. What if you were cooking a meal for someone, volunteering somewhere, witnessing to someone, helping someone in need, serving in a ministry, just doing acts of service and kindness? Put all those things in column B. You know, how does it look when we add them up? How are we going with what God has given? I don't do this to make you feel guilty. I just do it to make you feel guilty. No, just work out. Just think about It's something to think about, isn't it? Because the, the word is challenging. How are we going with investing what God has given or are we letting those things go to waste? Are we just burying them in the ground, so to speak? Again, not talking about doing too much. Not talking about stretching you beyond your capacities. I'm not saying you shouldn't rest or care for yourself. You know that I believe in those things and I've preached on them, right? Keep going with your Sabbath rhythm, all that stuff. This is not a message about being busier, but it might be a message about priorities and honouring God by putting to work what he has given for his glory. Point number four today is a passive church is in danger of losing God's provision. And I said church because I was trying not to be too, you know, I didn't want to just load it all up on, on us. But it is, this is for us individually as well. Verse 28 says, He ordered, take the money from this servant. And I hate to say this. And we accept that these words are true, right? A church or an individual that doesn't put to work what God has given to accomplish his purpose, you know, producing fruit for his kingdom and I'm not going to soften it, will lose what God provides. Anyone object? I think that's what it's saying. It's, not, it's no good if we build a building and we only use it for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, quite frankly. I mean, how God would take that away, I'm not sure, but I think the point is there. And we already have people ready to use this, by the way, and I can't wait for more people to be in there. I I think the lights should be on every night here. Don't stress. No one is saying you have to be here every night. (laughs) You know, yeah, phew, hey. That's the beauty of the church. We play our part in the body. But more and more, I'm seeing that church buildings, actually, because we often say, we don't want to be about buildings. Let's not talk about buildings. You know, that happens everywhere I go. We're about people, we're about God, and that is absolutely true. But God has given buildings. They are his resources and part, just a small part of what he has given to help grow his kingdom and to do good. In fact, Mark McGrindle makes the point. He says the, the, most common church, oh, the most common building in Australia in every community are churches. 
More than schools, more than shops, I know. Surprising, isn't it? Churches are the most common building throughout this country. I wonder how we're using that resource. Something to think about, isn't it? It's all the things we've mentioned, though. That includes money. If we don't trust God and invest and put them all to work, we're in danger, I think, of God just saying, you know what, I'm just going to send them over there. Someone else will put it to work. And we definitely don't want to displease God. Point five. A church that invests will be given more. These ones are obvious now. You know, they'll be given more, not to make them rich. They will be given more to invest more. Do you hear what I'm saying? They'll be given more to invest more. Verse 28. He ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. Remember, that guy started with five. Guy or girl, sorry. Started with five. But still according to their ability... The church, in fact, when I was reading through it this morning, I was preaching here before you got here. I actually got here an hour earlier than I was meant to today because my phone woke me up an hour early. Apparently, yeah. Was it, did anyone else have this happen today? I'm, I wanted to get here at 6.30. I'm driving along and it's quarter past five. I'm like, what's going on? And then it dawned on me. Anyway, God wanted me to pray more or something. Where was I? <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, when I was reading through, I noticed that Jesus even said that that amount that he gave the first servant, the five bags, was, he said, I'm giving you that small amount. Still giving according to everyone's ability. The church and the person who puts the gifts to work and invests them into God's kingdom is likely to then receive more from God for that same reason, to reinvest. Not to hoard or, or be more comfortable, but to reinvest. In other words, as you demonstrate your trust in him with those things, he demonstrates his trust in you. Number six, investment involves risk. And we don't like this because, okay, let's just admit it. We Wesleyan Methodists... I want to, we kind of, we're a little bit more introverted, let's use the word conservative, I don't mean maybe in the political sense, but just we kind of, I don't know, do you know what I'm saying? So that word risk doesn't get used very often in our board meetings. Verse 25, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it. Here's your money back. What seems risky to us Probably doesn't to God, unless we're being stupid. <laughs> and, oh good, I did put the word prayerful in there, right? Prayerful risk. In other words, we're seeking God's way on it. We've been learning this lesson here. I don't know if you've noticed. You know, I, I go back to Alexa's time, when he decided that the church should hire me. And you, I don't know if you knew this, but you couldn't afford me. Not because I was expensive. <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> On the wage the church was offering, they still... Ah, <laughs> oh, man. You know what I mean? There wasn't enough funds to pay a second, person, a second pastor. Should have said it like that in the... 
edit that bit out for me, Joe. There wasn't enough funds to pay a second pastor. And Lex said to the board, we're going to take a risk. Because we believe prayerfully, after praying about it, of course, that we should do that. And you know, we've, we've followed that all along now. In fact, nearly every staff member that we've hired, and, and this extends in some way into volunteers as well, where it feels like that could be a risk. We don't really have the resources yet. If we feel like God has said yes, and it hasn't always been a yes, we've gone for it. And God has provided. You know, that's just one example. You know, that's just, I'm just talking about hiring staff. There's lots of stuff throughout our ministries where this kind of thing is going on. It seems risky at the time, but actually it increased our faith. You know, the same thing happens even when we're doing ministries like, like Alpha. You know, on our opening Alpha nights, I stand there and I think, Lord, what if no one comes? You know, we've cooked meals, we've cleaned up, we've put everything out. You know, you're taking a risk. You put resources and time and money into it. God's honoured it every time. When we put our budget together, we, we do it differently now. You know, we, when we look at what's the budget going to be for next year, we're believing that God's doing stuff. Even when we're in pandemics or the economy's not doing too well, I don't ever want to put a budget that goes backwards. Now, the reality might happen differently. God might have a different idea. But we're, we're prayerfully doing things differently now. And, I, and again, I, maybe it's, I keep using the word risk. It's not even that anymore, if you know what I mean. We've learnt this lesson, including in times when we've sent money to other pastors and churches who have had needs. Whew, I just remembered something that happened this week at our conference when I was speaking to another pastor. And uh, I know the elders are in this room and I haven't even um, talked to you about this yet, so I'm in trouble <laughs> because I've semi-agreed to something. It could go back, look, you know, you know what they say about asking for forgiveness later? I don't actually believe in that, but I'm going to probably be doing it in this one. No, actually, I think our, our elders are going to embrace this because I know them. And there was a pastor there on the south side, and they've been trying to get a new facility for their kids, a bit like us, and the, the bureaucratic red tape's killing them. They've, they've just about given up um, financially, can't seem to get there. And he said... I'd really love just, if we just had a demandable for a few years, I reckon that would just help us get to the next step. Well, do you, can you think of someone who's got a demandable that, we've just, that is no longer being used? Like literally from this week? Now, yeah, okay, so. I was one of my eldest wives, so. I haven't promised anything, but I looked at him in his face and I said, I reckon we want to be generous with this. We've got something. And I haven't promised anything, I'll get back to you, is what I said. But inside, I'm thinking, because we could probably get a good return on that if we sold it. Or we could invest it. Everyone with me? Well, elders, I think the decision just got made <laughs> by vote. Trust me, we could use the money. You know our debt is up here now. I would love to pay off a big chunk of that. But I want to invest it into God's kingdom. Oh, man. I'm sorry, you guys. I know I'm manipulating the old body of it. <laughs> Is it thumbs up over there still? Oh, good. All right. 
I'll let you know what happens with that, okay? I'm not talking about doing crazy things. I'm not talking about wasting, by the way. I'm not talking about wasting money and resources. That's not what this is about. See, I grew up thinking being a good steward meant holding everything really tightly. I don't know. Well, we, we want a bigger surplus at the end of the year than we had at the start. Or we won't fix that or upgrade that because it's risky. I thought that's what being a good steward was. But God's moving in my, in my, my mind and our, in my heart and realising being a good steward is something completely different to that. It's trusting in him and putting to use and investing what he has already given us because there's going to be more. I want you to know that God wants you and I in this church to be effective. He, he gives us what we need. He, acts, he wants this church to do better than us. I've said it before. You know, I'm passionate about this church reaching people, right? I want the fruit. Please, God. He wants the fruit. God's like, me too. I've given you the stuff and the people and the things. Start investing. Put it to use. Our time, our talents, our gifts, our intellect, our education, our experience, our love and our grace that he fills us with. That's his gifts for us to put to use. You know, our compassion for people. Yes, our money and our possessions. All of these things come from God. And we have the privilege to put them to use for him as we serve him, because I want him to say those things to me that he said to those first two servants, well done, good and faithful servant. Please, Lord, I want to hear those words. We've got the privilege of putting them to use and seeing the fruit happen around us and watching things multiply. Ecclesiastes has this, uh, this verse that says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Anyone related to farmers here or grew up on a farm or anything like that? You know what that's about, don't you? They just get in there and do it. It's a drought. We're planting because it might rain. The truth is it's easy to find reasons to not be active and getting on with God's work and investing what he's given. When we read you know, what his disciples got up to in Acts... It doesn't look like they have much compared to what we might have today, but they got about it with what they had. It's never a bad time to plant. It's never a bad time to plant and harvest and be about God's work. I read a few books while I was on my leave. One of them was by um, a pastor. His name was Richard Vermbrand, and you might know him. He founded Voice of the Martins. Martyrs. Is that familiar with anybody here? Just a, a few people. I hadn't actually read anything about Richard before. He was born in Romania before World War II, and he was, he was a Jew. And so you can imagine what that was like for him through the war. And his wife, uh, Sabina, was as well. But they were atheists, right? They lived completely selfish lives. I don't say that. That's what he says, said about himself. They did whatever they want. Whenever they wanted. You know, they even had a kind of an open marriage, and you can imagine what they're talking about there. They especially, they didn't like Christianity. They didn't like Judaism, this idea that God had boundaries 
about who we should be and how we should live for him, you know. But God broke through, and over time, both of these two believed and completely turned around their lives, completely committed to following Jesus. Actually, Richard became a pastor eventually, and a really good one in Romania, and had a a really awesome church. So they survived through the horrors of World War II under Nazism. They were targets, of course, being Jews, only to come under the control of communism and being targeted because they were Christians. And Richard makes the point in his book that being a Christian under communism, was, it was like another level of horror, again, that the world often forgets. Because we, we rightly remember the horrors of, of Nazism and World War II and the Holocaust and the millions killed under Hitler, but we actually t- sometimes forget about the tens of millions killed by the communists under Stalin. They experienced it. Eventually, both Richard and Sabina were arrested by the Communist Party, and it was only because of their faith. Both faced extreme torture. You read the book, it's very hard to read, because he describes a lot of it. Starvation, slave labor. Poor Sabina had to um, work along rivers and on major projects that, that killed many. They had long stints in complete isolation. Extreme overcrowding in the, in the gulags. Um, they used humiliation against them. They never gave them warm clothes, even though it was freezing winters. Their food was often rotten. They had no visitors. They had one son who was never allowed to visit them, who often didn't know if they were even alive. The sanitation was terrible, and the mental abuse was, was horrible. Sabina had four years of suffering uh, under this, and Richard had 14 of it. Eventually, later in life, the church in the United Kingdom actually ransomed them out of the communist country, and they started Voice of the Martyrs. But through all their torture, neither Sabina nor Richard ever gave up any friends or family. Like I was reading what they were going through, and... I was amazed, and and they were constantly asked to recant their faith. And they never did. And it was brutal. Brutal. And you could forgive them for saying, now is not the time to plant. Now is not the time to invest, because it doesn't seem like they've got anything there. Richard wrote... About this time, he had absolutely nothing and was near death. He had tuberculosis and all he had that was good in his life was some scripture that he'd memorized. And even that was slipping because of the mental abuse. And he, he was a different person because of what they did to him. Is it, the verse is gone, but is, was it a good time to plant? I mean, I... I put myself in his shoes and I think, no, it's not a good time to plant. And this is the bit that blows me away. He would pray each day in those 14 years, God, when they look in my eyes, please let them see the eyes of Jesus. These are the people who were beating him. Some of those guards became Christians and spent the rest of their lives trying to make up for what they had done. There's never a bad time to plant. 
It's never a bad time to invest. But God has given us. There is never a bad time to be about our Father's business. God has given us something. And if you're sitting there today thinking, I don't think he has. Think about Richard and Sabina. He has given you something and it might just be the most powerful thing ever. His grace to give out to others. He's given us something to invest where you are in the place you're at right now. When he returns, what kind of servants will we be? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I hear your words today. I don't hear them as condemning. I hear them as encouraging. I hear them, Lord, and I say, help me to do what you need us to do, what you need me to do, Father. Empower us today. Fill us with your spirit. Provide your gifts, I ask, God. And Lord, when we're feeling a bit down or low, we won't ever forget what you did for us. We won't even forget, from even from our communion today, that if we were the only ones, you would have died for us, Lord Jesus. We've got something to give in any time and in any moment. And I pray over your church today as we move out uh, this week into our jobs and our schools and wherever we are into our homes, we would always remember that there is a gift that you've given us for us to invest back into your kingdom. I pray we'll do it faithfully as your servants and as your church this morning. And this morning, God, we've been singing about surrender all morning. This is where it starts. A life of surrender. Even if we've already done it, we're going to re-surrender today because we are your people and you are our God. 